There we go. Perfect. Good morning. I'm so glad you guys are here. Um, I promised you months and months and months and months ago that we would go through the entire book of Acts, and we are almost done. Um, I mean, we have we have gone from one, and we have a few weeks left of finishing up this story. And I love the book of Acts, and it's always challenging to me as I've been studying and reading and getting back into it. And and I'm excited that we're finishing it up right before Easter, because really, Easter is the beginning. Of, of the book of Acts and everything. It is this story of this mission that God has given us, that Christ started, passed on to us, and it continues on today. Isn't that amazing that we are still part of that story? We are still part of Scripture. That, that story hasn't ended yet. Um, it's the only book, only book in the Bible, in the New Testament, or anywhere in the Bible that doesn't have an epilogue, that doesn't finish and close. And we'll see that in, in the coming weeks. And so um, we have traveled from, from Christ's Leaving and giving the giving the mission to the disciples, to the apostles, to to Pentecost, to the beginning of the first church in Jerusalem, to persecution and passed around, and, and all the things that they made, and this 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 movement that started in the middle of nowhere. I mean, just just remember Palestine. They that was a no place. The Romans didn't even like to go there. It was kind of out in the woods. There was no influence there. There was nothing big. There was no glory there. There was nothing. And it was just kind of like little podunk little towns. They really, I mean, you had Jerusalem and, and that, but still you see this movement that started basically in a place maybe like in the backwoods of Groveland. Groveland would be a metropolis for most of these cities, if you know your area around here. And, and so it started there, and look how it has spread. Look how it has spread. I mean, there's no person that has done more to change culture, to change history than Jesus. No person that has had a greatest impact. Nothing, no movement greater than the movement of his church growing out into all the world and everything more than what we're talking about. And so it's amazing that we are still part of that story. And so this morning as we continue um, through this, I want to talk about knowing your story as part of his story. Let me say that again. I want you to know that you have a story, and knowing your story is part of his story and history and everything that we live there. Because we are a people of story. I don't know if you realize that. We have always been a people of story. We love to tell stories. We love to hear stories. I mean, that is why Facebook is such a big deal. And Twitter, because we want to share, and sometimes if you have daughters like mine, we overshare. And we share everything. Like, I really don't care that you had a hamburger tonight, and you don't have to take 50 pictures and, and tweet it and Instagram it and, and Facebook it all and stuff. But we overshare, but we like to be a part of that. In fact, Facebook recognized that again because they added that stuff, add to your story. Every time I get, I get a notice every day, would you like to add to your story today? Add to your story. Because we are a people of story. It has always been that way. We always want to share, this is what's happening in our life, this is what's going on. And so it's so important for us, especially as followers of Christ, to know our story and, and where that fits in. And that's really what I want you to think about this morning. Do you know your story? We spent weeks talking about being on mission and sharing our story and being a part, of it, and that's such a huge part of it. And so i, I I just think it's really cool how God works out that as we're kind of right back into that. And so this morning, if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts 22. If you don't have them, we have them spread out around. If you want to use your electronic devices, I always forget to put it up on these. I know, you're not reminding me. But if, thank you. Um, 
this is so weird to me. I feel like I'm going to fall off the stage now that you moved the piano <laughs> and everything. Like, we got to clean that, by the way. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's been one of those weeks. Um, but if you have an electronic device and you would rather do that, um, we have Wi-Fi here. It says GBC Guest. Just type in find more, all lower caps, all one word, and you can join us there. But as always and forever, these are the only words that matter. You don't hear anything else. I pray that you hear these words because these are the words that pierce our hearts, that change everything for us. I just get to share them. But they get all the credit. And so out of respect of that and out of the authority of these words, I'm going to ask if you'll just stand with me. Let's read it in Acts chapter 22, starting at verse 6. And it says, as I was traveling and approaching Damascus, about noon, an intense light from heaven suddenly flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, the one you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but they did not hear the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what should I do, Lord? And the Lord told me, get up and go into Damascus, and there you will be told everything that you have been assigned to do. Since I couldn't see because of the brightness of the light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and went into Damascus. Someone named Ananias, a devout man according to the law, who had a good reputation with all the Jews living there, came and stood by me and said, Brother Saul, regain your sight. And in that very hour I looked up and I saw him. And he said, The God of our ancestors has appointed you to know his will to see the righteous one and to hear the words from his mouth. Since you will be a witness for him for, to all people of what you have seen and heard. And now, why are you delaying? Get up, be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Verse 17, after I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him telling me, hurry and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. But I said, Lord, they know that in, that in synagogue after synagogue, I had those who believed in you imprisoned and beaten. And when the blood of your witnesses, Stephen, was being shed, I stood there giving approval and guarding the clothes of those who killed him. And he said to me, go, because I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you for this morning. But I thank you for this story that we are part of this morning. God, that started so long ago. But Father, you have continued it through us, this church at this time. God, in fact, every church that is meeting, that is standing on your word, and trusting in your promises, God, that story continues. And God, I know at times it just seems overwhelming. The fact that you have a heart to see the entire world come, all people to hear and, and understand and to know you. God, may this morning you just kind of break that down for us. May you just help us to hear and understand what is our part. Will you remind us again of when you met us on our road? When you changed us, when you transformed us, God, may that story burn fresh in us again this morning. Father, I pray that these words would be yours and not mine. That this would have nothing to do with me, nothing to do with this church, the music, videos, anything, God, but it would be about you. God, that you would reach in and meet us where we're at. God, that transformation would happen this morning. Changed lives would happen this morning. God, a fresh start would happen this morning. And Father, that you would do it in such a way that only you can get credit. So God, would you just give us ears to hear? Father, and a heart to respond. 
and the courage to live it outside these walls. And again, may you get all the glory. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So knowing our story, it's imperative, and and it's intriguing to me where a lot of people probably aren't as excited, like, well, you know, I've got this kind of testimony of this. I grew up in the church and and everything. Can I just tell you something? Anything to do with Jesus in your life is amazing and it's exciting. Mm -hmm. I get so tired of hearing people like, I don't have an exciting story, and God didn't do, like, this thing for that. My Bible says that we were dead and now we're alive. Can you think of any greater miracle than that? It is so important for us to know our story. But I I think we have to start first with just finding our story. We, we We have to understand before we can ever know, we need to understand that we do have a story. And we have to find that story and remember that story. So if you have a chance, turn back over to Philippians chapter 3 just real quick with me. And, and listen, listen to what Paul says as he's telling kind of his story to the church of Philippi. And again, he's in prison right now. He, he, this is one of the last things that he wrote and everything. But in Philippians 3, starting at verse 3, he says this. For we are the circumcision, the ones who worship by the Spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus, and do not put confidence in the flesh. Although I have reason for confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law of Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding righteousness that is in the law, blameless. Listen to what Paul's saying. It's like, if you have any right to brag, if you think you have a story, I have a story. But the truth is, is Paul understood something, that we have no story until we meet Christ. I want you to hear that. It might sound a little troubling. It says, well, you know, I've done plenty of things and I've done other stuff. But the truth is, is you and I have no real story until we meet Christ. Until we have that moment that changes everything. Until we have that period where God transforms us and we turn them. Because otherwise, we are just in the mess of everyone else. We're like sheep in a giant herd. All looking the same, all acting the same, all going the same direction. We're just kind of there. There's no story there. Our story is everybody else's story outside of Christ. There is, there is no, no identity for us. We're just one of many. See, I, I, I believe with all my heart there's only really two types of people. There are those that know God and there's a, those that don't know God. And there's nothing in between. And it's only when we know God and we understand we meet Christ that our individualism starts showing up, that, that our uniqueness starts showing up because we become what Christ made us be because the only thing that makes us unique is that God created us unique. And so understand this before we ever get into knowing our story, that we have to find our story. Our story will always be in Christ. Without that, there is no story. You know, I, I've told you this before, that, you know, I, I did youth ministry for a number of years, and I've seen kids just going like, I'm expressing my individuality with my tattoos and this and that, except they all look the same, they all sound the same. There was no individualism. I can't even say that word. Individualism. There we go. 
We just all kind of fit in together. And so you and I need to know that before we even can figure out what our story is, that outside of Christ, it doesn't exist. We're just like everyone else. How many of you guys have little kids and watch them play soccer? You ever seen little kids soccer? That's what I kind of figure faith is like. Little kid soccer is all like this. Here's the ball, and here's this herd of little children. <laughs> and they all go this way. And then all of a sudden, the ball comes out, and nobody knows this because the herd stays together, and yet one person sees the ball, and that person runs over. The truth is, until we meet Christ, we are in that herd with nothing to kick, nothing to do but stand in the herd. It's until we realize that what we need is outside that herd that our story actually begins. That's where our story begins. And so this morning, if you're struggling, if you're like, well, I'm not sure where my story is, it's got to start there. It has to start there. That's where we find our story. We find it in Christ. In fact, that's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. The key words in there is in Christ. I used to think it was the new and the old's gone and everything. And let me tell you something. There's some old stuff like my knees and my back that I wish would go away and would make me new. But the truth is, if it's not in Christ, none of it's new. That's the key. We find our story in Christ. That's what Paul did. That's why Paul. So let, let's look about this knowing your story and, and, and going back. So jump back over to Acts. Let me just catch you up a little bit. Last time we talked, last week we talked, Paul was on his way to Jerusalem. Paul knew <clears throat> what was going to happen to him. Paul knew that God had, was leading him back to Jerusalem. Everyone was telling him not to go, but he had the courage and the strength and the faith. Like, I'm going here. No matter what happens to me, I'm going to go. I'm going to be obedient. That faith that stands. And so he shows up, and immediately there's all kinds of ruckus that starts happening. Around him, if if you want, go back this week and read um, verse or chapter twenty one. Paul shows up and he sees James. And he sees the heads of the Jerusalem church and everything. They're like, "There's going to be a lot of trouble here." Because remember, Paul was a traitor to all the Jews. This was a guy that was a Pharisee, a religious leader. He was out to destroy the church, and he became the biggest proponent. And so he shows up, and he starts sharing. So they figure, like, well, let's figure out. You've got a couple of guys that will go with you. Let's shave their heads, cleanse yourself, go to the temple, show them that you're not against the law. And by the way, Paul was not against the law. Paul just said you can't be saved by the law. For all those people that sit here and go, well, I'm a New Testament Christian, and the law doesn't matter. Jesus never said the law doesn't matter anymore. He said not a dot or tittle will pass away until he returns. And so, by the way, it still matters that you don't lie, you don't cheat, you don't steal, you don't murder, that you put God in front of everybody else, you don't have any idols. That law still exists. The only difference is, is through Christ and the Holy Spirit, we can actually fulfill the law. Outside of him, we have no chance. And so understand this. There's no such thing as just a New Testament church because that's not a church. It's all of it or it's none of it. But they were saying, Paul was saying, they get rid of the law, don't worry about the Jews. And that's never what he said. He said, you're not going to be saved by the law. It's by grace. But just because grace doesn't mean you go and sin more. 
So they have raised up all this riot and confusion, and they saw Paul, and they started accusing him and, and falsely accusing him. Um, they grabbed him. They're getting there, and the Roman soldiers are getting nervous. They said, there's trouble brewing. Anytime trouble started happening in the temple, because by the way, they remembered what happened when Jesus died. That was still kind of fresh. They remembered all the stuff, and that's where all the trouble. And so the Romans jumped in right away and grabbed him. And Paul gets up and says, hey, I want to share. Let, let, me, let me explain what happens. And really what we're doing here in 22 is Paul is recounting his story. You know, we've heard this story because we studied it months and months ago when we, we started and we looked how Paul met him. But the truth is, is that every one of us has a Damascus Road moment. There has to be a Damascus Road moment. There has to be a moment when we are confronted with our sin and the holiness of God. Now, it may not be, it may not be a drastic, dramatic moment where you're walking, the sky lights up like it did for Paul, and boom, it was there. And Jesus shows up. It may be over a period of time, but there comes a point where we have to decide, are we going to surrender ourselves to Christ? Not anybody else, not mom, not dad, not my friends, not my pastor, not church. It is, it is a personal decision when I say I'm going to surrender myself. That is one-on-one with God. I believe, oh, sorry, I believe in a sovereign God. I believe God knows everything and anything, and, and, and I know that. I'm not going to get into an Arminian debate and a Calvin debate and all that stuff because I think both of them are going to get to heaven. We're all going to get there, and God's going to be like, you were close, but here you go. <laughs> See, because I believe that God does everything to do to draw us, that it's God's job to draw us, but there's at some point that we have to choose to surrender. And so we all have to have a Damascus Road moment. It can't be because my mom and dad had one. It can't be, well, I go to church all the time. There's a moment when we identify the sinfulness in ourselves and the holiness of God, and we know that the only way that that's fixed is through Jesus. We have to to get at that moment. And that's what Paul is talking about here. And, and so he kind of goes through a story, and, and I challenge you to see yourself. If you don't know your story, I bet you find yourself in this story. I know I have, as I've studied and everything. And so back in Acts 22, let's, let's look at verse 6 through 9. Paul just says what happens. He says, as I was a traveling and approaching Damascus about noon, an intense light from heaven suddenly flashed around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, the one you are persecuting. Now, those who were with me saw the light, but they did not hear the voice, the one of the one who was speaking to me. Look, look what's happening. If you, if you know the story and you're familiar, if Paul got letters from the Pharisees. I think part of it was like, they're like, yeah, you're, you're our hound dog. You, you are our muscle. You're going to put squashes out. And two, Paul was nuts and crazy too. And I think they wanted him out of Jerusalem also. Let's get Paul out. Let's send him to Damascus because he's causing too many problems and ruckuses and the Romans are paying attention. You got to understand the Pharisees were always concerned about Rome stepping in and taking away their temple rights. They were more concerned about their position and what they could do than what they were supposed to be doing and called to do. It was all a political game. And so they send Paul to Masses, and he's on his way. And, and early in Acts, it says he's breathing threats on his way. 
Like he's literally cursing these people like, I can't wait to get my hands on him and everything. But all of a sudden, he is confronted with the reality that he's going the wrong way. Like I said, that's where it begins. We get confronted with the reality that I've been doing things my way, God, not your way. I'm confronted with the fact that I have sinned. And we don't like that word. And a lot of churches try to stay away from that word. But man, it is in there. And so we're going to keep talking about it because we need to be confronted with our sin. You and I will never appreciate how much the cross means to us if we don't know how much it cost him. And it is our sin. And so Paul is confronted and realizing who God is and and who is not God. And it wasn't Paul. And I tell you, that's where we got to begin. Because down deep, if we don't know Christ or we're struggling, there is a sense of control issue here. Who's in control? Who's God of my life and who isn't? Like if you're struggling with your faith, I challenge you start there. Because usually it's like, who do I put on that throne? And I got to tell you personally, every day I got to get up and like, oh, sorry, Lord, I'm on your throne. <laughs> you, you take your spot, please. Because it's natural for us to go up there. And so that very first thing of, of cr- confronting the reality. See, that's what's funny to me. We think this is reality. This is the way it should be. I mean, is anybody happy? Has anybody been listening to the news lately over the last couple of years or seen like stuff going on in television and everything? I mean, is that a reality you want? Because that's not the reality that God created. The reality that God created is that he was in control. If we did things his way, it would lead to freedom and prosperity and blessing and, and communion with him all the time. But that's not the reality we live in. And what's happened to Paul is he's confronted with the reality that the person that he's persecuting is Jesus himself. And Jesus came to restore everything the way it was always supposed to be. Aren't you thankful? I long for that day that God promises to finish what he started. That one day we will have the actual reality, God's reality here on this planet with him in charge, him ruling when every knee bows and every tongue confesses. And so Paul is confronted by this reality. But just a little side note, you also notice that he says that now those who were with me saw the light, but they didn't hear the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And it's, it's interesting to me because in earlier in Acts, it says they did hear a voice. And so it's not, it's not like one of those I have people who come up and they look for things like this in the Bible. says, look, look, see, they're wrong. One's got to be right. One's Actually, the Greek translation is like it really is that they didn't understand what was happening. They saw, they knew something was happening, but they had no clue. You know why that is? Because your faith, your decision is a personal one and nobody else's. Again, I go back to it. Listen, I'm, I'm a good old Southern boy. I'm born in America. I'm American. Born in the South. I got deacons for uncles. I got pastors for grandparents. I got all kinds of people just flowing through and thing. And not one of those people can save me. It's my personal decision to follow Jesus. It has nothing to do with where I come from. It's who I know. And it's the same for us. By the way, going to church doesn't save you. Giving money in the offering plate doesn't save you. Doing good things and giving away everything and going around the world and helping people doesn't save you. Jesus saves you we do those things because he saved us we hand out blessing bags because 
God gave us a blessing bag in the name of Jesus on a cross. We don't do it to receive blessing. We do it because we've been blessed. And so understand, your story is your story. And that's the best news of all. I tell people all the time, they're like, I don't know how to share the gospel. I need to go to cemetery or seminary. And, and i got to study the Greek and the Hebrew. And I, gotta, I was like, no, because they're going to argue with that. i got people argue with me all the time. Well, Jesus didn't really walk on water. It was just really low tide, and there were stones that he saw. I'm like, that's amazing. Then why did Peter sink? Did Peter not see the same stones? Uh, you can argue all the stuff. You can argue creation. You can do all the things. But the one thing nobody can argue with you about is that you met Jesus and he changed your life. Smartest person on this planet, I don't care who does, the biggest, strong atheist is never going to change my mind about Jesus and me because I know what he's done for me because I've met him personally and it's changed my life. And so that's the very first thing is we, our stories that we understand. I'm a great sinner. I need a great savior. That's all Paul is saying. That's his story. That's our story. The next thing is he's got to surrender. We have to surrender. He's surrendering his claim to owning everything and being in charge of everything. Look at verse 10. I love this because in Acts, it does, in the earlier in Acts, it tells the story, it doesn't have this. But Paul adds this, and he says, this is what happened because I think this is important. He says, what should I do, Lord? And the Lord told me, get up and go into Damascus, and there you'll be told everything you have been assigned to do. It wasn't a question of, well, can I think about this? It was immediate. Paul surrendered his claim to control his life, and he asked immediately, what do I do? What do you want me to do? That has got to be part of our story. That surrender is part of the story. We have preached and we have preached and we have taught and we have gone to churches where all it is is us going up. We meet Jesus, we pray a prayer, and that's it. And we feel good about ourselves and we have warm fuzzies, but it does absolutely nothing for us. Those people aren't really saved. That's why I think the Bible says there's going to be a multitude of people that say, but Lord, we did this in your name. We did that in your name. And we called you Lord and we did all that. And he's still going to look at him and says, but you never knew me because I think it's right here. They never surrendered. Do you understand that it's a twofold deal? He's our Savior and Lord, and they're interchangeable. There has to be a point where we surrender our claim. And that's what Paul does. He just says, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? It's no longer my plans. See, did you notice Jesus didn't tell him to go back to Jerusalem? Paul had a plan of going to Damascus. It was just the wrong plan. It was to, to lead people away. And it's very interesting to me that now he had to be led there. He was blind. That light blinded him. He had to be led there. And so God took what he, Paul thought he was doing, and he was still going to the right place. He just had the wrong idea of what he was supposed to do there are so many people on this planet that are going they're doing the good things they're doing the right things but they're doing them for the wrong reason and they're going for the wrong purpose listen i believe all my heart in social justice i believe the church should be the forefront of social justice we need to we need to battle inequality we need to battle racism we need to battle poverty we need to battle all these things because we're called to do that we should be the loudest voice but if jesus isn't in the middle of it it will do no good 
makes no sense to make a hospital to treat people for AIDS and extend their lives if they'd never hear about Jesus. So do good, but surrender your claim to deciding what that good looks like. That's what Paul did, and that was part of his story, and that has to be part of our story, is surrendering our claim. And what happens when we surrender, surrender turns into trust. Think about that. I really need to trust somebody. Anybody ever do a trust fall? Anybody ever been dropped in a trust fall? Uh huh. I was dumb enough to do it as a youth pastor. And the kids like, get up there, get up there. I'm like, oh, this is stupid. Thump. <laughs> we didn't, I didn't trust until those kids graduated. I didn't do another trust fall until those kids were gone. But the truth is, a surrender means that I trust Jesus. Can I ask you, who better to trust? than the one that's faced it all, dealt with it all, and he did the right thing every time? The Bible says there's no temptation that comes under man that he has not faced. Years and years ago, there was this horrible movie called The Last Temptation of Christ. It was horrible. It was a total dis- wrong depiction. It was just, it was terrible. And people picketed, which, why, Christians, stop picketing stuff. Just stop. Nowhere in the Bible does it say pick up a sign and start screaming at people and yelling at people. Stop doing that. But I saw a newspaper clipping with a guy saying, my Jesus was never tempted. And I'm like, oh, gosh, then you and I don't know the same Jesus because he was tempted in every way. And he overcame. That's why I can't. And so we can trust him. And so as we sacrifice and we give up, we can start trusting in him. And that trust turns to obedience. Look at verse 11 through 16. Here's Paul on the road. He's blind. He can't see. God tells him to go to Damascus. What's he do? He goes. It says, since I couldn't see because of the brightness of the light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and went into Damascus. How easy would it have been Paul say, well, I can't see, Lord, I'm blind now, so I'll just wait here till you fix my eyes or I'll go back to Jerusalem and then maybe. No, it was still obedience. It's like, okay, I'm still going to go, even though someone else has to lead me. And these guys have no idea what's going on. These guys are with me to arrest people. They're thinking everything's gone nuts. In verse 12 says, someone named Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, who had a good reputation with all the Jews living there, came up and stood by me and said, Brother Saul, regain your sight. And in that very hour, I looked up and I saw him. Verse 14, and he said, the God of our ancestors has appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear the words from his mouth. And since you will be a witness for him to all people of what you have seen and heard. And now why are you delaying? Get up, be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Here's Paul. Just everything had turned around for him. Everything had instantly changed, and yet he is instantly being obedient. We have gotten this idea in the church that, okay, you just got saved, great. We're going to put you through a six-year discipleship program. We're going to train you, and we're going to talk to you, and we're going to do this all stuff, and then we're going to send you out. Show me in Scripture where it says that. Paul immediately went to Damascus. He got baptized, And he went and preached in Damascus. Obedience has to be part of our story. If I say I trust Jesus, but I'm not doing anything that may cost me anything, I'm not really trusting him, am I? If I'm not making a sacrifice, if I'm not willing to just say, okay, whatever it's going to cost, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to obey. 
That's not really trust. And yet that's got to be part of our story. I knew I was a sinner. Jesus met me and he changed me. And I had I gave up my rights and said, now you lead. But when he led, I went. It has to be part of that story. And then finally, when we start obeying and we say, and God sees that obedience in us, man, that obedience becomes mission. Look at verse 17. And after I returned to Jerusalem and was, and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance. And saw him telling me, hurry and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. But I said, Lord. They know that in the synagogue after synagogue, I had those who believed in you in prison and beaten. They're not going to listen to me. They're not going to trust me. And when the blood of your witness, Stephen, was being shed, and I stood by there giving approval and guarding the clothes of those who killed him. All these people know that. Verse 21, he said to me, go, because I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Do you understand one of the reasons we're here this morning is because Paul was obedient and had a mission. That he went and planted churches and did all that. That's my story. That's your story. That's all of our story that I needed a savior and I found it in Jesus and he transformed me and I surrendered to that and gave that and I trusted him and whatever he called me to do I'd obey and the more you obey and the more you trust the great thing is God says okay here's some more here's some more here's some more and finally that obedience becomes a mission that just drives us for the rest of our lives Paul's back in Jerusalem for one thing is he wants to share the gospel to the emperor of Rome and we're going to talk about that in the coming weeks Because his life was on mission, and that was part of his story. Is that part of your story? Listen, this morning, if your story is just this, like, well, you know, I was at church, I met Jesus, I got saved. I'm going to ask you, and then? <laughs> no, I, I just got saved. How do you know? You know, I believe once saved, always saved. We, we don't save ourselves, and so we can't lose our salvation. I believe that with all my heart. I think that's scripturally based. But I think there's evidence of our salvation in the way we live our life. And I think that's what's lacking in the w- stories and the testimonies of people. I got saved. Great. So what did it do for you? Because I'm telling you, there's a generation out there saying, great, you got saved. Well, what did that do? Oh my gosh, it gave me purpose. I got to travel all over the world, meeting all different people, seeing how big God is, all different languages, all this stuff, and sharing the gospel. Uh, and then we moved back. We started an organization. God called us there. Man, we didn't have any money or do anything. And then God said, hey, plant a church. I'm like, God, you're nuts, but okay, we'll do it. And we get to do it. That's my story. Because it's mission. Can you imagine if I stood up to you and said, listen, I want to preach to you today. When I was five years old, I was at a children's revival. I got saved. Let's pray. <laughs> because we have to know our story, and our story continues. In fact, that's, that's, that's the whole idea about this morning. You and I, we have a story. If you know Jesus, we have a story. It doesn't matter if you grew up and you were perfect, and you were that perfect little kid, and everything was wonderful, and you never did anything wrong, and all that stuff. Awesome. Praise God. That is a blessing <coughs> beyond blessing. Never discount that. 
Now, I think I've told the story before that one church had testimony night, and this guy got up, and he says, man, I was in gangs, and I, I, man, I did drugs, and I did so many drugs, and I would mug old people for their money, but then Jesus saved me, and I was clean, and I was, I've been off drugs ever since that night that Jesus saved me, and the church goes crazy. Another guy gets up and says, man, I was bad. I like to light fires. I like to burn everything, and I just burned people's houses with them, and I was terrible and everything, but then I met Jesus, and God changed everything for me, and I haven't done any of that stuff. I'm living for him now. Church goes wild. Then this 80-something-year-old woman comes up in her walker. She's like, I just want to thank God because he saved me. He saved me from beating my husband for 40 years with a baseball bat. The church is like, whoa. I just want to thank God because he saved me from meth addiction. And people are like, Grandma, (laughs) what's going on? I want to thank God because he saved me from from just running people down with my car that I didn't like because they looked differently. And they're like, something seriously is going on with Grandma here. This is crazy. And she's like, I just want to thank God because I got saved when I was eight years old and I never had to do any of that. We have a story. But the truth is, is our story, it's not about us. This is what you have to understand. It's not about us. It's not about us glamorizing how bad or how great we are. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. That's what Paul said. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved him and gave himself for me. Paul saying my story is the story of Jesus in me. Not me. Not me planting churches or traveling or being shipwrecked and doing all stuff. That's all parts of it. But it all points to Jesus. Your story, my story cannot be about us it's about jesus because he's the one that saved us it's not about us it is a story worth telling i have a friend out in california he's a pastor out there he was a good friend we were youth pastors here in claremont and he's he's a methodist preacher out there and thing and he sent out a question on facebook about people like why don't you go to church why don't you go to church why aren't millennials go to church and there was one answer that literally just stopped me broke my heart because one kid answered he's like I just don't see the relevance of it anymore. I think Jesus was a good guy, but what's it have to do today? And it broke my heart because we have a story that's worth telling. You want to know the relevance of what Jesus is? Tell your story. Tell your story. That's what Paul said. Paul said in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation to everyone who believes, first the Jew and also the Greek. That story is still relevant because people still need to get saved. It makes a difference. And you have a story worth sharing this morning. If you know Jesus, you need to tell somebody. You need to shout it from the rooftops. Whatever it takes, you need to live it, speak it, whatever it takes, but share it because it is a story worth telling. I was dead, and now I'm alive. I was blind, now I see amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. It is a story worth telling. And then finally, finally this morning, it is a story that is unfinished. Do you know that? Everyone do this. Does everybody feel a little thump, 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 thump? Anybody not feel that, so tell me right away. (laughs) As long as that's thumping, your story's not done. 
I don't care how old you are. I don't care how young you are. Your story is never done. It is unfinished. That's what Paul, that's what Paul talked about in Philippians 3. He says, not that I've already reached the goal or I'm already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of Christ Jesus. He's like, I continue to reach forward. I continue to move forward because my story's not done. Paul wrote that in prison and he said, my story is not done. His next stop was Rome after that. And then the gallows. And Paul said, my story is not done. Your story is not finished. Until the Lord calls us home or he shows up again. We have a story. and It's not about us. It's worth telling and it's unfinished. And I hope this morning that you have taken time just to think about that moment where it just, it became reality to you. You remember that moment where like, I know who Jesus is. I love it. Alistair Begg, the great preacher, says this. He says, withhold no part of the precious truth, but speak what you know and declare what you have seen. Do not allow the toil or darkness or possible unbelief of your friends to dissuade you. Let us rise and march to the place of duty and there declare what great things God has shown to our soul. We have a story. Know your story. Tell your story. Live your story. It's not over yet. Let's pray.